Last year, Robin and I got to go to Tasmania for a holiday and it was a really good trip. There's plenty to see in Tasmania and you don't have to go too far to see it because it's such a small place. One truckie was telling me that he went to Tasmania and he had to reverse out. Um, so <laughs> you don't have to spend all day driving to get from point A to point B. But of course, in a lot of places that we wanted to go, it included a lot of twisty, turny roads and mountainous roads and coast, coastal roads. But the road rules in Tasmania sort of count, you know, catered for that. Um, the road rules, particularly the ones that I was interested in, guess which ones they are, the, the speed limits, uh, they're very different to how they get set up in Queensland. In Queensland, as soon as you get to a twisty, turny, mountainous road, it's like this road's dangerous. Okay, there might be a few accidents on it. It's a dangerous road and we're going to legislate for that. And so they really drop the speed limits, 60 kilometres an hour or 50 or 40. And if you happen to wander over that speed limit in that section of the road, even if there's a nice long straight stretch in that section, then you're going to get booked. But when we got off the plane in Hobart, right there in the airport was a sign that said, Welcome to Tasmania. And then it went on to say something along the lines of Tasmanians drive to the road conditions and we'd like you to do the same. So that way you might still be alive to hop on the plane when you want to go home again. That's not the exact words, but that was the gist of what it was saying. And I thought, oh, yeah, OK. But, you know, I actually found that to be true. On a twisty, turny, mountainous road that in Queensland would have had us back to 60 or 40 or maybe even 20 in Tasmania... In Tasmania, the speed limit, most of the time, stayed at 100. And Now, what difference did that make? It made a lot of difference. For a start, it was just freedom. It wasn't just, oh, oh. It was also safer. What it meant was that on those roads, I didn't have to constantly be looking down at my speedo thinking, oh, because on, on as soon as we go on a twisty, turny road, they... To get anywhere, you've sort of got to stay close to the speed limit, but you don't want to go over it and say, you're always looking down. But on their roads, I found that I could actually keep my eyes on the road. I didn't have to look at the speedo. And I could watch the corners. And I could watch the other traffic. And at times, I was probably only doing 30 or 40 kilometres an hour in a 100 zone. But that didn't matter because everybody else was only doing 30 or 40 kilometres an hour in the 100 zone. And then when you got to the straights, you could speed up a little bit and drive at a decent speed and you weren't afraid of getting booked. It was safer because we weren't afraid of what the law was going to do to us if we happened to do the wrong thing by the law and our whole concentration could be on driving to the conditions and being safe about it. There were two systems in play here. The aim of both systems is to keep motorists safe on the roads. One system legislates to do it with low speed limits and if you get caught over those limits, well, we're going to book you and we're going to punish you. Whereas the other system, well, it still had the same aim to keep people safe on the roads and it does it by encouraging them to drive with relative freedom but to the, in a safe manner to the conditions of the road. Mind you, the Tasmanians also had their issues with legalism and trying to legislate for safety when it came to gravel roads. Uh, you get to a gravel road in Tasmania and some, we were on some that are really big, long, straight, well-maintained 
and maximum state limit on a gravel road of 80 kilometres an hour. Now, that would drive some of you folk crazy who almost live on gravel roads, but that's the way it is. Now, why am I telling you all this? Is this just my little self-righteous rant about speed limits and revenue raising? No, that's not what it is at all. I'm telling you this because this is the best analogy that I could think of to describe to you the difference between being held captive by the law and living by the Spirit. So let's bring it back to today's reading. In the letter to the Romans, at times it feels like we're getting mixed messages about whether the law is a good thing or whether it's a bad thing. And I think it's important at this stage for us to identify that in this section of the letter, what, when Paul is talking about the law, he's not talking about road rules. He's not talking about the laws of the land. He's not even talking about the stuff that Jesus said. What he is, is he's talking about, he's talking about the Jewish Mosaic law, the law of Moses. All right, so the mosaic law, that doesn't mean that it's something which is put together with pebbles and concrete. That's not mosaic law. It means the law of Moses. Okay? The law of Moses included the Ten Commandments and a lot of other laws as well, but it's also referring to a whole heap of what I'm going to call bylaws, uh, which the teachers of the law had built up around the law of Moses over the centuries. And sometimes the picture that Paul is painting of the law is a bad picture. He says things like, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. Right? So the example he gives is, you know, if the, it, the law is supposed to be a deterrent. But instead, when the law says, do not covet, because we are sinful creatures, we might hear that commandment and go, oh, well, I wasn't coveting, but... Now that you mentioned coveting, I, I really would like to have the car that so-and-so has. And, oh, I guess I am coveting now. All right, so saying that the law can actually arouse the sinful passions that we have. And he says things like, apart from the law, sin lies dead. And when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So the law gets painted as a bad thing. But then he counters this by saying, shall we say that the law is sin? No way. It helps me to recognize sin for what sin is. He says the law is spiritual. And he says in verse 12, he says, so the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. There's no ambiguity there, is there? The law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And so it seems like we're getting these mixed messages of whether the law is a good thing or whether the law is a bad thing. But the outcome of it is the law is a good thing. It helps us to recognise what sin is. And the law itself, well, that's not what brought us death. Our sinfulness is what brought us death. What the law did was it increased the threat of punishment because when the law tells us that something is wrong, well, there's no excuse for us. 
So, if the law is a good thing, why did Jesus die to release us from the law? And why, when we're baptised, is part of that, we think of it as being as dying to sin, but we're also dying to law. Why is it a good thing to die to the law? Why is it a good thing to be released from the law? I'll tell you why. It's because the law shows us what sin is, but it cannot stop us from sinning. It cannot help us. It cannot rescue us. The the law is good and wonderful and true and holy and righteous, but the trouble is we are not. Without Jesus, there is no way that we could ever live up to the demands of the law. It's an impossible target. Many have tried and they've all failed. Think about the Pharisees in Jesus' day. We think of them as bad critters because of the way Jesus used to talk to them. But they used to live such righteous and holy lives. They, they would put us to shame. And yet the way Jesus spoke to them and spoke about them, you'd think that they were the devil incarnate. Because their eyes were fixed on the written law. And they would not break that law. And they judged everybody else who did break that law. And while they were trying to be righteous, they weren't righteous. For a start, they didn't love. Their outward actions might have appeared righteous, but their hearts weren't right before God. A really good example of this is when Jesus' disciples picked a few heads of grain as they were walking through the paddock and they rubbed them out and, and ate them. And the Pharisees said, you did that on a Saturday, that's working on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. That wasn't work. I was having a little snack. And then when Jesus healed the withered hand so that that man was whole and restored, the Pharisees were setting Jesus up so they could say, You've done work on the Sabbath. You see, the written law said, here's a day of rest, right? You can have this this day as a day of rest every week. Don't work on that day. And then with their bylaws, they legislated what constituted work. So they came up with all these little laws so that you could not light a fire on a Sabbath. You could not put a fire out. Even if your house was burning down, you couldn't put a fire out unless somebody's life was in danger. Uh, You couldn't cook food or heat food up, but you could make a salad. Uh, You you were only allowed to walk a certain distance. And there's heaps of other little strange laws that they made up to, to describe what is work. And the way that their bylaws had had so tied up this day of rest, it came to the point where they would punish Jesus for a miracle of God on a Saturday. And at one point, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, no matter how good the law is, 
because sin lives in us, we cannot keep the law. And we try and interpret the law to, so that we can know, okay, where exactly is the fence? So I can go just up to the fence and that's where I'll stay. Because that's not how it's supposed to be. So even though we know that it's good, even if we love the law, we cannot keep it. And how does that leaving us feeling? It leaves us feeling shackled, inadequate, sinful, wretched. What we need is righteous freedom. And that is something that the law cannot give us. Right, so if we are set free from the law, it's important for us to understand what this freedom looks like. If sin continues to be my master and I get set free from the law, well, sin will use this freedom to descend into lawlessness. All right, so let's go back to the driving analogy. If a wild, arrogant, careless, risk-taking driver was on those twisty, turny roads in Tasmania and his passenger was urging him on, saying, come on, you can go faster than that. Oh, yeah, that was pretty quick around that corner, but I reckon you can do the next corner faster. It wouldn't be long until that driver slid off the road and crashed down the side of a cliff. Right, so if sin continues to be our master and the law gets taken away, sin will use that freedom to make us descend into lawlessness. But that is not what it means for a Christian to be set free from the law. Verse 6 says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, freedom from sin also means serving in the new way of the spirit. It means serving righteousness. The old way was to live by a set of of written laws, the code. But we've been set free from that. Not to lawlessness, but to serve in the new way of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, that's the source of freedom. That's where the righteousness of God comes from. What a wonderful concept, eh? To live a righteous life, not because we've studied up on the codes and the rule books, but because the Holy Spirit is our guide. I want you to imagine that you're driving on that dangerous, twisty, turny, mountainous road and there are no speed limits. And I want you to imagine that there is a very skilled navigator in the passenger seat beside you. And I want you to imagine that that navigator, his son died not long ago because a careless driver killed him in a car accident on a twisty, turny, mountainous road, much like the one that you're driving on now. 
and your navigator says to you, this corner you're coming up to is a sharp one, slow down. And so you do. And he says, watch out for that other car over there. I think he's going to do something crazy. And so you do. Don't look at the scenery. Keep your eyes on the road. And so you do. Jesus Christ died to set us free from sin. He died to set us free from the law. He died so that he could be our guide, helping us to serve in righteousness. Now, a big question that Bible scholars have had to deal with with this passage is Paul's description of the inner struggle. That's the bit that I read. This, this struggle of wanting to do right, but being unable to do right. And the question that they've had to struggle with is, Paul, is this one. Is Paul talking about before he became a Christian or is he talking about after he became a Christian? In theological terms, if when we become a Christian we are regenerated to become something new, are we talking about a regenerated person? or an unregenerated person, before we're saved or after we're saved. And biblically, I have little doubt that he is talking about a non-Christian. He's talking about somebody who hasn't yet been regenerated. Um, They have the incapacity to do what the law requires and they need to be free, they need to be rescued and, and Jesus is the only one who can do that. So I think there's little doubt that he's talking about a non-Christian here. And yet, when I read that passage, I read it as if he's talking about me. And and even as, as we read it this morning, I almost feel like I have to hide because you lot are thinking, yeah, he's saying that about Michael. And I believe every Christian would naturally read this passage as if it's talking about them because this is a struggle that we all have. Uh, The thing that I want to do, I I don't do it. And the thing that I don't want to do, I, I, I find that I do do it. I think that's something we can all identify with. And the reason for this, I believe, is because we're not yet perfected. We talked, I think it was last week, about sanctification. And yet we're not yet fully sanctified. We're not yet fully changed to be like God. Our old habits die hard. The law continues to set a benchmark. The law continues to tell us God's righteous decree. And the Holy Spirit, as he guides us, will always guide us in agreement with the law. That's all very good and nice. But sometimes we disobey. Or or am I the only one who disobeys? No? Okay. Sometimes 
we need forgiveness. And so this is for you and I as a reminder of the freedom that comes with forgiveness. Right? If there was no forgiveness, there would be no freedom. But we are a people who, because we haven't been able to obey, we need forgiveness. And with forgiveness comes freedom. And we need to understand this because unless we begin to understand what this freedom from the law is about, even as a Christian, we will continue to feel inadequate. We'll continue to feel bound. We'll continue to feel wretched. So let me read this last little bit for us again. Because this is for us. And I'm actually going to take it a little bit into, into the next week's reading, into chapter 8. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for, for what I want to do. I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but but it is sin living inside of me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Do you ever feel like that? I do. Even as a Christian, sometimes we feel like that. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin 
in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Folks, I'm a little bit jealous uh, because in two weeks' time, uh, when we next meet, we won't be meeting next week because it's a fifth Sunday and we don't have a service on a fifth Sunday. But in two weeks' time, when we next meet, Justin's going to be preaching on that, so I'm a little bit jealous because this is one of the most wonderful passages in the Bible. Romans chapter 8, about living in the Spirit. Wonderful stuff. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have set us free from the requirements of the law. You've set us free from any penalty that we've earned. Lord, we want to thank you that we no longer live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Lord, we want to thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we want to thank you that we can live in freedom. Lord, we want to thank you that you are gracious and you are merciful. We want to thank you for the gift of repentance. And Lord, we repent of our wrongdoing. We repent of living by the law and and for judging others by the law. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, we also ask that you would forgive us for when your Holy Spirit inside of us has shown us the right way to go and we've been disobedient. And Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we want to thank you for freedom. Thank you that we should no longer feel bound, inadequate, unworthy, wretched. For you have set us free by the blood of your Son. In Jesus' name. Amen.